Hello and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. And joining me, as per usual, is Dr. Williams. How are you, mate? <laughs> G'day, Ryan. I'm fantastic. Thank you. Uh, please don't use that title. I think that's an insult to actual doctors. Uh, in fact, our guest today uh, likened us to actual journalists, which I think is probably another insult to real journalists. So I did notice that. Yeah. <laughs> But we'll take that compliment on board. <laughs> oh, you'll certainly hear it when you get into the episode. He does refer us as potential journalists, which is awesome. Yeah, but well, I, haven't, I, I haven't got 10 years of study in me. No, Sorry, and I don't want to be chasing around people. But big respect to those who do. I think it's phenomenal. Absolutely. Uh, all right, Doc, let's, uh, let's get into it. <laughs> I'm Ryan Walker. He is Ruben Williams, and we are two mates who met at Cricket Australia, and now we help people find their own dream job through this very podcast and our online community. If you want to follow us, head over to LinkedIn or even better, if you want to connect with us and hundreds of others working in sport, jump into the Sports Grad community. Yes, and a quick shout out to our Sports Grad community. Now, I've got a very special shout out today because Ooh. this message came to me through LinkedIn during the week. It's wow. from okay. Francisco Garcia. Now, Francisco is not a Sports Grad member yet, but okay. he's an avid Sports Grad podcast listener. And he's just got a job in corporate sales at Sporting Club de Portugal, also known as Whoa. Sporting Lisbon. Wow. The, uh, the birthplace of Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> it was his boyhood club. Boyhood club, that's it. Now listen to this, Ryan. Francisco says, Hi, Ruben. Nice to connect with you. I took on board many of your networking tips and thoroughly enjoyed listening to your podcasts. All this together contributed and helped me secure a role at Sporting Club de Portugal's commercial department. Starting in January 2023, I will be pursuing a work and holiday visa in Australia where I am eager to be involved with opportunities in the sports sector. Would this be something that SportsGrad could help, help me with? If so, I'd be more than happy to become a SportsGrad member. We could wow. have ties to Cristiano Ronaldo inside <laughs> the SportsGrad community, Ryan. Jeez, that's... Uh Amazing. We yeah. love we love worldwide grad. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is what I said to him. I said to him, um, you know, if you are international and you want to grow your network in Australia, it, the sports grad community is a perfect yeah. way to do it. Well, you may as well do it now so that when you rock up, you've got a few connections. Exactly right. And he's not the only one doing it. There's people living in 13 different countries around the world who are yeah. a part of the sports grad community. Uh, we got our friend Romy over in the Netherlands. Josh, who's in Canada, who's an absolute favourite of ours. So there's people everywhere yeah. who just want to be involved and build this global community. So, uh, Francisco, we'd love you to join. Please yeah. come and bring uh, <laughs> that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo energy into our community. Yeah. <laughs> A public plea to Francesca to, to come to the community. It's yeah, great. that's it. So if you like Francisco, who's going to jump on, no doubt, or um, you are like Sporting Club de Portugal, who will also no doubt join our community at some point in time. Yeah, and and they'd be listening as well. So shout out to them over in Portugal. Yeah, They're, head to www.sportsgrad.com forward slash community to learn all about what we do and how to get involved. Wonderful, Rubes. I love when we get creative with that bit. I think it's great seeing people all over the globe mm. finding jobs. The global podcast. The glo we are the global, the family podcast <laughs> as well as you love to call it. All righty, uh, let's get cracking. But before we do, uh, Rubes, exercise and nutrition are increasingly in the spotlight and, and for good reason. Deakin is the number one ranked sports science school in the world. Incredible. Whoa. 
in the world. Mm. At Deakin, you don't just learn about the future of sport. You can access it with state-of-the-art facilities, cutting-edge research and advanced technology all at your fingertips. As an international leader in sports education, Deakin prepares you to shape the sports industry of tomorrow. Get the real-world experience you need to join the growing list of Deakin alumni who hold leadership positions like our good friend Steve Moore at Carlton Footy Club, Deakin alumni. So Mm. check out Deakin's website for all the information on exercise and nutrition and join the number one ranked sports science school in the world. Mm. Great podcast guest, Steve. He was good. What number? Oh, 159 <sighs> earlier this year. He's around good. that mark. He's very good. I think it's wrong. It's yeah. around that mark though. Okay. Anyway, another excellent podcast guest is Jason Chan, who joins us today. Yes. Now, Dr. Jason Chan has been the Chief Medical Officer for the Melbourne Storm Rugby League Club for the past eight years. And during this time, the club has won numerous premierships and accolades for their professionalism and preparation, which you will hear all about, right? And some of the numbers are staggering. Eight consecutive preliminary finals appearances, four grand final appearances, two premierships. It is yeah. outstanding. As good as any club in the world, that that record. Mm. Um, now, Jason is also part of the Melbourne Sports Industry Group as a sports doctor and has been for 20, and has 25 years experience in sports medicine, orthopedics and musculoskeletal injuries. Now, this is a bumper episode, so mm. strap yourself in and particularly if you're interested in that space because Jason walks us through exactly what a team doctor slash chief medical officer does day to day at an NRL team and he also gives us what you need to do to be successful and he's got a couple of really key skills that are integral to success in this space and Jason just shares all of that with us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he also spoke about... Um, you know, how important volunteering was, but he also spoke about how to get the most out of that experience. So you're not just kind of doing volunteering experience and that's it. He said there's a lot of things that go into it and especially for sports med students that are out there looking to get some sort of placement with grassroots clubs, he basically just walks through how to make the most of those experiences so that when you walk away, Mm. there's likely going to be uh, an opportunity for you. Yeah, I loved what he said about give value. Don't just offer your time, like actually Mm. give something back. What have you got to offer? Uh, And finally, I thought it was really, really interesting finding out how important loyalty is at the Melbourne Storm. Jason mentioned there's only been two Mm. staff changes in the last seven or eight years. The the, uh, rugby football department has been able to keep their core people together for a, a long, long time, yeah. which has just made them extremely successful. So I loved hearing him talk about loyalty and his views on why it's important and how you can foster that and how you can mm. fit into that too. Like it's incredibly hard to break into. Yeah. Um, so stick around for how you can um, show your loyalty too. Yeah, they're certainly uh, dominating down at the storm. It's an exciting time to be part of that organisation. Yep. Awesome, Rubes. Well, grab a pen. Enjoy this chat with Dr. Jason Chan. Jason, welcome to the Sports Grab podcast. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Rube. Jason, you're uh, you're actually the second sports uh, doctor that we've had on this podcast. Our first one was uh, old Peter Brookner from episode 112, but we've just found out that you guys have crossed paths way, way back when your journey was just beginning. <laughs> yeah, we have. Um that was actually 30 years ago now in any case, and I was a, 
a very raw sort of uh, medical student, and um, and Pete was a uh, an up and coming, uh, I suppose, guru, if you will, in the sports <laughs> medicine field. And I think just published his first book actually in that same year. So um, we have crossed paths before. <laughs> he he did mention to us on that episode that if you can do one thing, r- write a book. It's a pretty good thing to do. And then we found <laughs> out that he's that he's published about two hundred thousand copies of a textbook that gets used pretty widely. Correct, correct. I've still got that first edition, in fact, actually, and I've actually got the subsequent editions that have sort of come through, but um, I should, probably should get back and get him to sign one. Yeah. yeah worth a bit right now, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, didn't we do the maths, I thought? I thought we did the maths about... Your scary numbers. It was like 200,000 copies, at, at least 100 bucks a pop. 200 bucks a pop, I reckon. Te- like text, <laughs> oh, sure. Textbooks. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to split them with another guy, though. It wasn't yeah. just him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think it's about 10% margin on, on publishing, so... Yeah. Who knows how much it gets back. Oh, but he's uh, probably bought half of them. That's okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's a good man, Bookie. He'd be listening as well. He's, mm. Oh, sorry, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, Jace, let's talk about your journey. Where did yeah. sports medicine begin for you? What sort of set you on the path to where you are now at the Melbourne Storm? Yeah, so so like most people probably in in, uh, in sports medicine, we all effectively have a, a love of sport that's sort of uh, – been championed by our parents or our uncles and aunts and whichever and and I was probably no different although I wasn't certainly the AFL footballer having played in the St Albans under 13s and I did kick a behind one day but <laughs> um, beyond that I used to play a bit of badminton um, won an Australian title long long time ago Fantastic. as a junior um, and then ruptured a couple of Achilles and an ACL and a PCL and sort of decided it's probably more money to be made in uh, in doing mm. sports medicine itself so that'll do it I sort of yes yeah. <laughs> it does indeed. Although my daughter's done four ACLs, so oh, no. that's a really <laughs> terrible thing. I think I've given her the crap gene sort of through that process. <laughs> However, so yeah, so my interest of sport was uh, was through that path and it definitely wasn't going to be as a professional athlete. So I took it to that next level where um, doing medicine, it was sort of a natural fit for me and I never really saw myself being inside all the time. And um, so through my love of orthopedics and sports medicine, it sort of uh, gravitated that way. Nice one. Um in terms of what, what we love to talk about on this podcast is uh, sliding doors moments. Yeah. Uh, and I know you would have had a few in your career, but I'm just thinking, is there one particular that stands out that has sort of helped you on the journey to get to the Melbourne Storm? Yeah. Um, but, you know, be a chief medical officer, which is a pretty big role. Yeah. Listen, there, there definitely was sort of a sliding door moment. Um, and for me, I was probably um, – one of those people like like probably many who are listening to this podcast where you you question your belief in, in your skills or whether you can actually be where your others want to be. So never probably one who probably put myself up there at any point. And then I um, happened to be at the uh, MCC grand final luncheon um, some uh, 10 years ago now in any case and, and there's three of us mates who invite a few friends along and um, – on this particular luncheon, uh, the uh, football manager for the Melbourne Storm was there, a guy called Frank Panisi. And um, I eventually met Frank because he was on the opposite side of the table for me. Um, and about three hours later and about 12 beers later, <laughs> we ended up meeting each other and having a bit of a chat. And um, I found out what he did and he found out what I did. And I didn't know at the time, but they were looking for a, a new doctor. And I had quite a lot of bravado during that sort of occasion. <laughs> and um, he told me the guys that were, he was, um, oh, the players in particular that they were getting surgeries for in the post-op season. And I had a reasonable amount of experience in that sort of area and told him what I thought of said operations and said persons, and I won't go any further. <laughs> and he said to me, he goes, listen, you seem to know a bit about perhaps what's happening around in Melbourne. 
And the doctor, to be fair, the doctor they'd had before that time was from England. Um, so he wasn't a local doctor as such. And he said, Wilson, would you mind catching up for a drink in about a, in a week's time or a coffee? And I said, sure. And I'm um, true to his word and to his credit. He gave me that call uh, a week later and um, rest is history. Essentially, the, the club took a punt on me in some respect. Um, uh, and here I am eight years later. Fantastic. Still doing the same job. So that, let me go back to that that MCC luncheon. Was that an invite or did you have to buy a ticket? Who, who do you owe thanks to? <laughs> <laughs> I owe thanks to a, a mate of mine, Grant Weir, who uh, – and there's, there was three of us. There's three mates have been together for a, a good 20 years or so. And um, for the past sort of, you know, 15 years or so, we've uh, we've taken this table at the, at the long room, it was, uh, on the day before the grand final, AFL grand final, and uh, we invite three or four guests each. And this is how it came along. And his guest was Frank Panisi on that particular occasion. So I've got him to thank for probably or more to commiserate with whichever way you look at it really. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's how it happened. That's incredible. You're yeah. kind of building like your own little micro community by just introducing <laughs> your friends to the people you know. That's that's worked out extremely well. You know, I think that's that's probably how things work in sport, to be fair. Mm. Um, it's not necessarily a matter of what you know. It's uh, very, very much a matter of who you know or where you can otherwise get that leg up one way or another. Mm. Mm. Um, I'm interested to hear sort of Pre the MCC lunch, yep. What was that journey like? You know, you obviously had to work your way up to to where you were in that position to get that job. Yeah. What was that like? Was it a, a tough journey, or do you always sort of had this goal in mind to, to get yeah, there? Right. It's interesting because I, I never, I always, um, for me, um, intuitively, I think you just practice the medicine that you want to practice anyway, and you attract the people um, who fit your skill set in many respects, mm. rather than sometimes the other way around. If you I think like all things, if you're good at it, people know about it and people will come to you, uh, with that same sort of mindset. Um, so I never thought that I'd become a, a sports doctor necessarily. Um, it was sort of probably its infancy to be fair when I first started, but it just sort of seemed to be a natural fit. And, um, my first, real sort of uh, sporting job, if you otherwise will, was probably with the Williamstown Football Club. Um, and that was probably you know, life-changing for me in many respects in terms of the fact that it gave me that validation that whatever I was doing was right um, and that I could do it. And um, because it's always a big confidence issue when you, you walk into that sort of um, elite sport arena, if you want to call it, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's quite scary from the outside. But when you're inside, you just realise they're just like me and you mm. um, trying to do the best that they can. Mm. Um, and so when I first started, that was probably the, the big sort of, uh, the big break that I sort of really got. And um, from there, it just changed my mindset completely. And looking after your own team is really quite a, an important thing. That that Williamstown job, did you have to apply for that or was that another? No, I was sought out by, they were desperate for a doctor. <laughs> it made me feel really good to be mm. fair. But um, they were desperate for someone and, and someone heard from someone that someone thought that they knew someone who might be a doctor. So that someone <laughs> rang me and I was someone. And, um, <laughs> and, and, I feel and were in, you a doctor? I was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> funnily enough, I was actually. And funnily enough, I was actually a doctor in a community health centre. <laughs> so the journey you can appreciate was not necessarily one where you have to go through certain ranks. It, it's just an opportunity. And I think that's probably the, the key. And I think if you, if I look back, I think if I'd, if I'd not been, um, if I'd listened to my head, I wouldn't have taken the job because I was shitting myself. Sure, you can say that there, um, but I was really, um, really um, uh, not so much scared, but really unsure of my own abilities and whichever. Um, but I think what you know, like like most people who otherwise graduate or go into any field, um, you can have every um, every uh, bit of information you know, or you can have every degree behind you and know so much about it. But at the end of the day, it's an art, and what you practice is an art. 
um, not just like you guys, you know, you might mm. want to do journalism or whatever and things like that. But at the end of the day, unless you can speak in front of a microphone, it's not going to work for you. Mm. Any different than for us, you know, we can be really good at, at knowing, you know, the 15 courses of hemolytic anemia or something like that. However, unless I can actually talk to someone and relate, and there's no bigger uh, area to relate upon in, in terms of as, a, as opposed to a sport, um, then whatever I have is not going to be, you know, to be used in any sort of way. So mm. that's probably the, yeah, one of the biggest things I sort of found that um, just take a chance on yourself and, and back yourself mm. at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I haven't been as exposed to pathways in sports medicine as I have yep. those for physiotherapists, yeah. but I have knows, noticed that um, a lot of physios will start out at a grassroots club, do their do their traineeship there to get experience and, the, and then go up. Is it similar for doctors and um, I guess is there much – as much uh, attraction to go into sports medicine. Yeah, there, there certainly is. I think um, I think in sports medicine, there's not a there's not a large amount of uh, sports doctors per se. Um, if you consider the fact that uh, we have the number of sports that are around, and every level has an elite level, um, mm. we've probably got maybe. 250, you know, and I'm guessing at that level, mm. you know, sports physicians as such. And then you've got another tier down of sports GPs who might sort of be there. And then maybe again, another, you know, maybe a couple of hundred of those. So if you think about the fact there might be say 400 potential specialists in that area throughout the country we're talking about, mm. there's more than 450 sides here all looking for two or three doctors sometimes. And so to get to that elite level is probably uh, a, a, a more difficult thing, especially the profile ones, and most people want to go to the AFL and the like and, and NRL. But to um, to go to that tier down from there, it's, there's always opportunity open, just like – and so for the, that physio situation where you can take um, local communities and they're dying for people to otherwise help them, you can walk into a team essentially. Um, at the doctor level, it's probably the same level. It's probably just that one tier above. That's all. If you, if you were a student today approaching a club offering your services as a doctor, how would you approach them? Yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's the, real, the, big, uh, the big thing. And I, I think many of us will be, um, will be very varied in terms of how we think that that should probably happen. It's probably been, um, uh, I suppose, um, what's the word? Um, it's our own experiences that will tell you whether it's worked for us or not, and mm. that may be personality-based too. But I think the volunteer parties is one element, but I think most clubs will otherwise see the fact that it's not enough anymore just to volunteer. I think you need to give them something mm. because there I can find 10 doctors or 10 medical students who are prepared to otherwise shadow me and just keep taking from me, but I need something the other way. Um, and I think that's the key. You know, It's one thing to volunteer or to say I'm volunteering, but understand that when you volunteer, it's not a matter of someone getting your services for free. You need to give them something. Um, you almost need to employ them rather than they employ you. And I think that's probably the, if I, in my time in sport, if I've ever seen any volunteers, the ones that do, that do best or the ones who we keep on in any sort of uh, mm. point are those that invest themselves. And, and that's probably the best thing you can get out of it is to, to pay back your employer essentially is probably the best way to get through um, yeah. is what I sort of see. Otherwise you get people on for the ride and who say, well, I'm volunteering so I don't have to turn up or I don't have to do that extra session. That's mm. where you sort of, you're not going to get anything out of it. For medical students specifically, do you have yeah. a certain example of something that they could offer to give back to the club? Yeah. Medical students, um, their role is actually probably a little bit easier now. There is a, a group that there, it's a sports and exercise medicine students association. There is now SEMSA, I think it's called. Mm. Um, and so there is an avenue to go through as a medical student now. Um, from 
getting access to to elite sport or to find out whether it's actually what you want to do because you know it's like physios you know everyone starts or not shouldn't say everyone but many start physiotherapy all wanting to be the collingwood physiotherapist or the Mm. like but the reality is that maybe one percent of you will get there in medicine it's probably not so um so um so much of a cutthroat circumstance you can pretty much get there if you are just prepared to put the work in mm. um but if they were to do anything at all all they need to do is to contact us it's one it's interesting i think in in medicine and certainly doctors almost across the board all they want to do is teach it's how we're taught and it's the only way you're going to learn and so we all uh, are happy to teach and we'll happily give our time up free i've never actually met anyone who says no so anyone's just got to contact the club and say hey listen mm. i'm a medical student um do you mind if I came and uh, shadowed the doctor for a, a while and they'll pass the message on to us and away we go. Mm. Hopefully I won't be inundated with the <laughs> sort of students. But nonetheless, if they, if they did, I'd be more than happy to sort of try and accommodate. Prepare yep. your LinkedIn. It's about to get up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> um, we'll get into real sort of brass tax sort of stuff here, but what, what sort of stuff would appeal to you if you had, say, 10 offers come across your desk of people who wanted to shadow you? What would you look out for most? Yeah, I, I think I think what I'm I'm wanting to do is to when I'm looking at a at a, at a prospective sort of person to come to the club or or to otherwise try and sort of uh, see if I can help in any sort of way and and think they're going to get benefit from it, it's someone who's actually uh, I think is um, you can see that they've got um, uh, for me a history of the fact that they'll stick at something um, as well as a, a circumstance where they they actually have the ability to learn and I say that by you know, it's, I think sometimes in our industry, it's you get a lot of hoppers. That is, you know, people who go from this team to that team to that team to that team to that team, and they'll always you just know that they're here. And they're going to use you for a period. I'd love to have someone who's vested. So if someone said to me, "Listen, you know, I've been a keen supporter of rugby league, or or I like rugby, or or you know, I've been with a team, my grassroots team now for six years because, and I started as a trainer there and a water boy and gone through. I'm thinking, this is great." I can actually offer something and more, but like I said, I'm always looking for someone to give me something back. Um, and loyalty in many respects is something that always will come back to, to pay you in spades. Um, so for me, I'm going to be looking, yes, value their CV. I'm going to look to see whether they'll, and, and if they do stay around a club for a long period of time, it says to me, you know what, they're a club person. And that's super important for me. We've had lots of people come through our club who will last a year and they're just, you know, unfortunately their, their personalities don't sort of fit. And um, the reality is, is that you can be the smartest bloke on the block, but if you have no personality that will fit with my club, then you're not going to last any time because you just become detrimental and a, and a legacy, you know, mm. and a, a, um, a noose around our neck at some sort of level. So I'm looking for someone who shows a bit of loyalty to an area, shows that they can stick at something. They've done their groundwork, you know, and they're not, you know. At, at the same time, I sometimes look at some kids who I think, you know what, this kid will be great. I think he'd be really good and he's got very, very little experience, but you know what? It's just something about him. So put your hat in the ring, you know, and be confident in what you do. Mm. I love hearing that. That's that's a new take on, you know, what do we look out for in, in candidates, that mm. uh, that loyalty piece and can they stick at something too? Because, um, which sounds really important from what I've heard from people who do work in clubs, that there's a huge cultural piece that you've got to really fit into. Yeah. Um, I remember speaking to a, a bloke who used to work at the Brisbane Lions and he'd been out of the sports industry for about six months and he said to me, I'm, I'm really keen to get back into a club. Like, you know, wouldn't mind working for a national body, but a club is really want to be because it's got a different sort of feel to it. So it's interesting to learn what's important to that. Yeah, Ruben, I think that's a, it's a really mm. sort of important thing. And, and in particular, at, at my club being the Melbourne Storm, we haven't, 
We've changed, I think, maybe one staff member in our entire football department in the past six years, maybe even seven years. Wow. wow. It's, it's like it's almost unheard of. And, yeah. and that's almost a loyalty to each other. Um, and it's almost like a – and, you know, and, and you'll find that it, perhaps in that elite sort of sport environment that the good teams, they just stick fat. Yeah. And it's the teams that uh, have the internal turmoil where potentially they're looking out for themselves and they're – that start looking at you know mm. looking after their own backyard that mm. and they always look for scapegoats at some level too it would appear from the outside and please I'm not sort of casting any aspersions at any clubs but it's no you know surprise that often the, the really good clubs have a really good stable sort of uh, mm. employer base and just to kind of paint the picture what sort of success has that led to um, I've been at the Melbourne Storm now for eight years um, I've been in eight preliminary finals uh, I've also been in eight preliminaries eight in a row. Yep. Wow. Um, I've also been in four grand finals and had the fortune of winning two. Um, I've won one. And I say I, because as a club, that's what we do. You know, we, we accept the, we all, it's a one in all in, you know, when mm. we fail, we all fail essentially. Um, won one outside of COVID where there were fans everywhere. And I've also won a, been involved in a grand final winning team where there was not one person in the crowd, essentially, and no one coming to the rooms, essentially. So it was a really weird sort of type thing, <laughs> to be fair. But um, so yeah, so we're a really sort of stable sort of uh, group, and with that has come success. And so I never book holidays in September. No, <laughs> and you know what? That's going to bite me in the bum. I just never yeah, <laughs> and I shouldn't have said that. Where, but uh, nonetheless, where are you sitting currently? <clears throat> uh, third. Well, the pro- I mean the prelim. You can't break that record. Uh, Probably can't, yeah, can't do that at this point in time. But no. you know, it's it's. Uh, I'm, I've been fortunate, and you know, I've I've uh, I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by a club and and players of an ilk and and coaching staff who are the the envy of, of many in essence. And you know, no matter what sport you look at, I think it's almost a record that's you know can almost not be matched mm. in this country. Mm. Um, and certainly, my eight years, I've we've had a, a win success rate of some in the order of about you know 76 percent, which is mm. just mind-blowing when you consider that's finals and everything included mm. and we we have significant burden you know we travel quite a lot um and we're in the one of the coldest places on earth <laughs> um but we we do pretty well and and uh, and we are a sort of a very close-knit sort of club and maybe that the the, uh, the isolation probably does help that yeah phenomenal um so tell us a bit about your role at its most basic level um because yeah. i would imagine it's it's very different to just being a regular gp it, or just in regular medicine, it is. It is in a, in a sense, and I think uh, you need to distinguish between what is ultimately sports medicine and what is team medicine. Um, when you're doing sports medicine, you're dealing in musculoskeletal sort of type and physio, you know, physiological sort of type issues. Um, and team medicine becomes a, a next level. You, you deal with the sports medicine element, if you will, or the musculoskeletal element, but then you deal with the coughs and colds and the mental health issues, um, and then. Some teams as well will extend that further to dealing with families and staff at the same time. So obviously it's highlighted probably by what happened over the last couple of years. There's this thing called COVID. I'm not sure if you've heard about it. but um, <laughs> No, what's that? Yeah, I know, I know. There's this little virus that's sort of going around and, <laughs> and it's sort of highlighted many things that, you know, within the team environment, the fact that it's not just, you're not just looking after someone, you know, who's got a, a sore shoulder in essence in this anymore. You're dealing with the whole person and the whole of club and, and that says that role of a of a club medical officer, it's a little bit different to a circumstance where you may be a doctor to a particular individual. So you're sort of, you're looking, 
So our club's a little bit uh, different or, or an interstate club is a little bit different. I'll call ourselves an interstate because the NRL is based primarily out of, of New South Wales. Um, but we have a lot of displaced peoples. They don't have the supports that other AFL sides or other local sides may otherwise sort of have. And AFL certainly has a draft where they do have a lot of interstate boys as well. Um, but they tend to have a few more local sort of homegrown people. I think within our squad we may well have two that are homegrown. Um, all the others, if you will, mm. live elsewhere mm. or have their supports elsewhere. So, so you become both confidant, um, you become their GP ultimately to them, their families and spouses, um, which we take upon ourselves, um, as well as a circumstance whereby you also help address their their pathological issues with their sports medicine element, accepting the fact that we have a whole you know series of physiotherapists and and uh, strength and conditioning people who look after most of their injuries which are, uh, can be managed day to day. But we, we sort of, you know, we do those things for the players. And, and, and above and beyond that, you know, there are obviously things that we otherwise have to worry about now in terms of governance issues and the like. Um, unfortunately, that sort of came to prominence in 2012 when Essendon and Cronulla were sort of uh, caught up in the, in the drugs scandal. Um, and no more was governance become more of an issue than from that time. So, so I would suggest that probably 40% of my time may well be through governance or administrative sort of things and meetings. Um, probably another forty percent may well be the sports medicine element, and another twenty percent is probably general practice and, and tying up with families and friends and and, uh, and significant peoples of the club. Wow, uh, that's much bigger than I anticipated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So much bigger than I thought it was. I, th- I think you were. I, I thought you would literally just be dealing with players and injuries, and you almost just managed that whole process Completely. the whole ecosystem yeah right? Their families too um, <laughs> like is there anything that can prepare you for going from just being a doctor to now managing the entire melbourne storm community yeah. <laughs> no time is the answer um you know it's hard to imagine or hard to think that you could you know maybe come out of university and and within a couple of years you sort of want to be a doctor of a team most you know you don't even know how to you know, to wipe your own mouth half the time when you come out of university in that sort of way. And and most of what we do, it's funny, I say to, to new graduates or, or medical students, say, listen, you know, while you're at university, you'll learn medicine. Um, you begin to be a doctor the day you graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is very much an art. And, and we make uh, much of our learnings are, are by our experiences and our mistakes particularly. Um, and don't be afraid to make mistakes because they will happen. Um, just don't be afraid to admit to them. Um, and it's that experience, I suppose, or that, that, that lo- both life experience and, and working experience, which is what clubs are otherwise after. Mm. So exposure is the one thing that you're otherwise going to get. And don't ever forget that, you know, along the way, you can sort of take that path to, to get to where you want to be, but you've got to fill in the gaps underneath. You know, you have to experience life. You have to, you have to, to have failed in some sort of way. You have to have, have been the trainer or have strapped someone or done all those other things that you think I don't need to do to get to where I need to get but you do in life because they just round you out in that circumstance and mm. it shows when it matters. I, l- I learned something quite interesting at our Brisbane meetup networking events last Thursday. Yeah. And uh, one of the guys up there had recently done a study on NRL players. I think it might've been Maori NRL players and why they go to certain clubs. Mm. And it looked at all the different in, in, uh, uh, forces at play. Money was a big one, but it found that, these players are going to certain clubs primarily for family reasons. They're getting thrown massive amounts of money at yes. other clubs, but family ties and familiarity and connection to community was number one. Does that sort of um, – uh, do those impacts uh, come into play when you're thinking about the overall health of the 
Melbourne Storm, their families and the players? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, we have, um, for looking after people of, of any Indigenous sort of origins, be that um, from our Maori communities or even for that matter our, our um, Indigenous Aboriginal communities too, um, is a very, very different sort of scenario. Um, we, If we try and uh, treat them, if you will, or, or think that they're going to be thinking the same the same way that uh, that that everyone who's brought up in a you know in a simple sort of you know white Anglo-Saxon sort of background, we're going to fail them abysmally, um, and that's why it's a, it's a really difficult thing to sort of have a, a black box approach to how you deal with welfare and how you deal with you know um, mindfulness and all of those things, which uh, tend to be sort of one of the catch cry things that, that happen in sort of in elite sport right now. So. It's it's a really interesting thing, and we at the Storm have, have really come across some some significant issues along our way. But we've certainly learnt through that whole sort of process, um, and uh, to the point, actually, in fact, we've had some of the AFL clubs. I've had AFL clubs contact me about how we deal with our Indigenous populations, um, just because there's less of a penetration of Indigenous persons through through those type of clubs than than with ours. Um, families there is a huge draw in many respects, and. And often we find that decisions to come to a club aren't, aren't the players themselves as much as they may well be from, from, from their families or from their communities in many respects. And, and also being mindful for the fact that the players are there for the love of rugby or at the end of the day, but their monies often go straight back to their families or their communities to sort of help them. So often they're there you know, at the will of other people um, as much as they want to play, but their motivations sometimes become quite different. Um, and when and when they fail, and then when they get injured, the ramifications become massive. You know, it's mm. not just a simple case of oh, bugger, I'm out for four weeks. Um, it really can sort of you know impact the entire community that they otherwise have, and and uh, they've got these little you know, I suppose little micro communities inside their communities, and and it's such an important thing. And you know, and we've 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 all learnt along the way that that's it's a, a really importance to us, and. And we're fortunate to have um, a couple of, sta- again, a stable sort of staffing who otherwise fully understand that circumstance. Um, and they've got a different belief system. Um, and we, you know, we found that out through COVID particularly, and it's based on not just um, ethnic or ethical issues, it's often religious-based too. And so we do face many sort of problems. And we, problems is not a right word, actually, because it's not differences is, is a better word, um, that we have to, to work with and accommodate. And we've always got to be mindful of those circumstances. And... And to be honest, I'm not always the best person at that, but I, I try as much as I can and, and we as a club do, I'd hope to think as, as well as most otherwise do. There you go. I think at the start of this podcast, <laughs> I thought your role was just about surgeries and injuries <laughs> and then it's developed into, you know, looking after the overall well-being of the entire club, which has a, a massive or awesome retention play for yeah. not only the staff, but the team list as well. So you've got to... Huge role, Jason. Not on your plate. <laughs> it, I don't, I'm not sure how whether it's huge or not, but it, it's it's just you know what. At the end of the day, we just do what we do. You know, I do my job. Team looks after itself. Yeah, that's what we do. Um, I'm interested. This is super interesting stuff. Um, wh- what is your what's the number one skill that you need to master in your role right now? Because right now it sounds like there's about. 50 skills you need to have but what, what's the number one thing communication million percent it's when you're dealing with a, a circumstance where we have uh we've got probably 40 players i've got to deal with um i've got another 30 staff members i need to deal with um i talk at board meetings i have meetings yeah. with other doctors and communicating i need to speak to other surgeons other physios same language I need to speak to families um communication is probably the, the number one thing there's a 
you know, there's an old saying that we have in medicine now, more mistakes in medicine are made by not looking than not knowing. So knowledge is something that you can always get and you can always defer to other people. Um, but that ability to otherwise look and listen are the most important sort of thing that I probably have. Um, and with that, you learn lots of things. You know, you learn empathy and that comes in life. Um, but ultimately, it's communication. If, if I can't communicate and that's a two-way street and if they're not prepared to tell me um, how they're feeling or approach me in the first place, then I can be the smartest person on the block, like I said before, and, and not be able to utilise any of the skills that I otherwise have. So for me, it, it's all about communication. Um, they rely upon my experience, but they seek my knowledge. It's what they do mm. ultimately. It's interesting you said like you can always find knowledge. I think that applies across any field out there. Like you can always find the answers, but it's how you actually portray that and, and speak to people right. about I think, that. I think, I think that's a, a really interesting thing because I, I think in – in many circumstances, I think of some of the graduates, and of, I'm talking mainly around the exercise sort of physiology sort of type situation, everyone's the latest guru this week, next month, next year, whichever, and everyone will try and position themselves to be in the presence of that said guru, if you will. Um, I think you need to uh, be mindful of the fact that, you know, said guru is a flavour of a month necessarily. Um, it's not necessarily that they can communicate well or that what they're saying is correct. They've had a, they've had the, they've had, um, a period of time when people are listening and watching and they've had some, be that some good results one way or another. But I think what you need to do is you need to make sure that uh, when looking at, at that circumstance that you surround yourself with people who you think uh, or look for people who you think will epitomise the, the way in which you want to practice or who embody perhaps the principles that you think as a person that you can live with. And then you get to otherwise see whether that's what you can otherwise live by. Um, because some of these guys who are, again, gurus, you can't live by them. You, you mm. can't live with them. You can't live next to them. You can't do what they do because it's just impossible humanly. So it's important that, you know, you, you get an idea of what it is to, to almost try and mirror yourself and see what it actually is to be your best self um, through the eyes of somebody else at some point and then to experience other things along the way. It sounds like... Um you know, and it's probably some just life advice in general. It's around like you you are the person or you are the person that you hang around with. Like the people you surround yourself with, yourself with <laughs> you almost that, become. I say know? that to, to um, lots of our boys. I say, you know, if you find yourself surrounded by dickheads, chances are you are one. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and is it, there's a book by um, is it Stephen Biddulph who Raising Boys, it's called, in yeah. essence, and he talk, they talk about, you know, in – in villages of the like where, you know, ultimately people will otherwise surround themselves with significant or boys in any case will surround themselves with significant men, not necessarily the, the best at this or that, just significant men, you know. So it's important that you surround yourself and, yeah, get to know that particular guru, um, but also surround yourself with people who have been in that industry for 30, 40 years mm. who have, have survived it and mm. have, a, have a series of people that you have, um, not just put all your eggs in one basket and thinking I need to be with that person and then burn that person and then go to the next person. Burn that club, go to the next club. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work that way. Loyalty, like I said, is one thing that I look for, and I can tell you right now, my club will look exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't doubt that well-run clubs and good clubs will all be looking at exactly the same circumstance. Mm. They want loyal people who, mm. who who will add value to them and who they can add value to, and are not lost once they've left. Mm. 
Yeah. And the uh, the value that they bring to the club just compounds with every year that they stay at the club. You can't just replace one person with another and expect them to do the Correct. same job. No, absolutely, Ruben. You, you sort of, you know, at North Melbourne they talk about that shin bonus sort of spirit, you mm. know, sort of thing where you go to the place and it's like, well, why has it been like that? And I, again, I can't answer what it's like now and I'm, I'm sure they're sort of leaning upon that quite a lot right now when they're going through difficult times. But it's like, you know, I think clubs like, say, something like the Storm, which have been so successful, is that you try and think, well, I'm going to grab their physio and I'll take them. You can take one cog out of that little thing, if you will, and it'll just keep going along mm-hmm. you know, because it's just a, it's an ethos that they have at the place. And just putting that person into a, a club that's not so good, likewise, is not going to necessarily fix their problems. Um, so it's like almost saying, you know, where does the vroom come from in a Ferrari? Well, it's the sum of the parts. And so mm, yeah. in any circumstance, you need to be, again, you know, part of that sort of that whole sort of uh, group and, and adding to it or you're detracting. Mm. Jason, you sound pretty well read. You've read Raising Boys. You've had, Pe- <laughs> you've had, a, you've had a Peter Bruckner's first edition as well. Do you have one book recommendation on communication? On communication? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I must say, you know, what I am doing right now is I'm reading a, I'm reading a book called 4,000 Weeks. Oh, yes. Which is, and if you can vaguely do your quick maths, 4,000 weeks is about as long as you've got to live right now. And it's all a matter of, uh, I, I picked it up and had a bit of a read about it all because it's all about time management. Um, and in this world of where we're sort of running around and, you know, you've got a couple of jobs here and a couple of jobs there. And, and certainly in elite sport, you know, certainly in my field, none of us are full time um, in that role. We, we juggle lots of things. And but it's, it's relevant for, for people who want to do elite sport and doing a lot of travel and trying to juggle family and friends and, and children and the like. Um, 4,000 weeks, is, as I said, is as long as we have to live. And, and it basically it talks about time management for mortal people, not immortal people, people who otherwise, you know, try and aim for that inbox that has zero or, or answer every message and the like. And it's just it says, you know what, we're going to fail. Just accept the fact that you're going to fail. Because once you accept that, then you can start moving on and you can actually deal with problems rather than always being anxious about what's otherwise happening. And it's probably true in, in, in everything that we otherwise do. Um, and um, I'll tell you how it ends. I haven't found out yet. <laughs> but, um, but it's just interesting. And I, and I did get that more because, you know, even at, at my age, and I'm over 50 now and been in medicine now for 30 years, I still find it really hard to manage my time. Um, and it's difficult because you're always trying to please in many respects. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you tend to find is that sometimes the fact that you end up pleasing nobody. Um, so always looking for that circumstance of ways of otherwise trying to manage my time and my life better and getting that work-life balance better. Um, but I'm probably coming to that terms and idea of thinking, you know what, I'm probably going to fail. And once I know that and accept that, okay, then I can enjoy today again. Mm. And that's what you need to do. And, and, and in sport, we, we do that. We just enjoy the day. It's funny, you know, um, about a month ago, I, I sat there after a particular game and I was having a chat with Frank and I said to Frank, I said, you know, remember this eight years ago we started out? Remember how it started? He goes, yeah. He goes, you know what? He goes, I said, I'm just remembering this moment now and I'm just, I'm just going to enjoy this. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I said, you know what? This is going to end one day. And all too often we sort of think about process all the time and thinking, what are we going to be next week? Are we going to make finals doing whatever? And I said, I'm just going to start thinking about and enjoying the win now and just enjoying being around these boys and, and what it is now. And you go, shit, Doc, it sounds like you're going to leave. And I said, not just yet. but And I think that's what it comes down to. You just sort of – you just need to be able to ex- understand and, 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 and in sport, like, um, like anywhere, you sort of just need to look and just think this is a privileged position that you're otherwise in, you know, that you can otherwise sort of be in. Um, it won't last forever and that's okay. 
you know. And if you, you do go down that path of trying to get into elite sport and you do get in or you get into the VAFA or you get into whatever level you can get at, don't forget to enjoy it along the way. Mm. Because you know what? The VAFA may be your grand final. Not that that's a bad thing or, you know, the going to the local, you know, Willie Juniors or something like that may be your, your grand final. And for lots of people, you know, mums and dads who perhaps start as a trainer or whatever, that's their grand final. You know, enjoy it. It's, it's a great ride. It's enjoyable. And it's, it's nice to aspire to do something, but just enjoy it along the way. Mm. It sounds like uh, if you want to learn how to communicate, go out and talk to people is the best way. But 4,000 weeks is a great recommendation to, mm, to, weeks. to pick up. I haven't lived more than 4,000 weeks, by the yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't got many left. I'm yeah. all <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I love the, uh, the, uh, the theme of gratitude that you've kind of brought to this as well. We might continue down the philosophical path yeah. and, and just find out what, what motivates you each day to, to come to work. Motivates me. Um, I'm probably um, I've I've got five children and and I've got two grandchildren now. Um, in fact, I'd had five children by the age of thirty. So wow. I was a young father and and uh, probably not the best uh, parent in the world to begin, only because I wasn't there for time wise. But I've certainly tried to to be a great father if I otherwise can. Um, so my motivation for for lots of early my early career, if you will, was was family, and that's pretty cliched, I suppose, but but true. Um, but my motivator right now is is me, actually, and that's I don't I don't want to sort of sound selfish in that sense. But my motivator is to is that again I, I recognise the fact that you know it's time to sometimes just to sort of to pay yourself firstly rather than pay everyone else. And I've spent my large part of my life paying lots of other people, you know, family and 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 the like and friends and the like. And and now this is for me, which is probably where I sort of, you know, can want to just sit down and just enjoy the ride as I can. Um, Recognise the fact that, you know what, um, I'm not the best in the world and I've never felt that. I'm no longer going to try and be the best, which I think we always try to be for a long, long time. Um, I'm just going to be the best meal I can be in a sense and and, and just enjoy the ride as I can. Um, so that's my so my so that's probably my best motivator. Um, I think if you're in it for money, um, you'll fail abysmally. Um, you'll never be happy. Um, there's no doubt that it it, it's a, it helps you along the way to 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 do those things. And I'm not for a moment going to suggest that you know that money's not a factor whether you want to pursue you know a career like mine or or even in the industry because it's a really tough industry to otherwise to make that career. Um, but it, it can't be a motivator. Um, it has to be about um, about desire and 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 will to be the best ultimately, which is what we share with with players. That's interesting. Like, do you th- do you think the motivator being you is that because? Well, actually, no. I rephrase that. It, do you think you need to be well established in your career to have that as a motivation? I I, I think it's a luxury. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree, Ryan. I think you know you could argue it's a first world problem. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> in many respects, it's yeah. definitely a luxury. Um, and like I said, you know, my my um my uh my children I had very early, so. I've got, you know, like I said, grandchildren. So essentially it's myself now. Mm. Um, so we're, we're perhaps in, in the generation which has, you know, followed me in essence, you know, they're all about paying themselves ish- initially. You know, they'll, they'll take gap years and do things that to self-interest themselves. You would, they were all doing that. I was doing nappies and stuff like that and, <laughs> and not able to sort of, you know, um, be uh, gratuitous towards myself in that sense. So I'm yeah. probably back-ending that right now. Um, and I think for... For some of my colleagues, that's you know they still got kids. 
missed, you know, yeah. grappling with school fees and the like too. Um, but um, I, I think that's certainly something that that, um, that experience certainly allows you to do. But I think not only does it allow you to do, it also teaches you. Um, mm. You learn along the way that it's okay to say that because it sounds arrogant sometimes mm. and it sounds selfish when you think about it. And if you mm. go to a job interview and say it's all about me, well, you're going to think, well, hold on a minute, I'm not really sure that that's the, what I want to portray. Um, so it comes with – it can sound that way, but I think if, if within your, yourself you actually – um, accept the fact that, you know what, no, no, it's okay now. It's okay and I'm, I'm going to allow myself and um, to, to feel that way, then I think only good can come from it. Mm. Nice. It's funny you mention that because that's one of the biggest questions that we get from students. How do I talk about myself in a job interview without sounding like an arrogant prick? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the key there, Ruben, is to talk about yourself, mm. not to actually tell someone how good you are. Yeah. Because <laughs> they want to know who you are. Mm. That's what they want to know. So, you know, I think, you know, one of those little things is, you know, always ask five questions, you know, whenever you're doing an interview or anyone's interviewing you, always mm. ask five questions, you know, because that way you otherwise show that and you can just start displaying some empathy and also um, give them an understanding of who you are by some of the questions rather than continue to tell everything that you otherwise, mm. that you are or you think they want to know. Mm. You know, ask them questions and they'll tell you what they want to know. Yeah. By essence, because you actually find out who they are. Mm. Yeah. I also think the questions that you ask in an interview is where they'll find out the most about you as well because often you ask a question, they'll say what they think and you almost like need to respond to what they say. So that kind of shows a lot about it as well. It's not just the standard interview questions that they throw to you. It, th it shows what you're thinking at the same time. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think if you find in, in any interview process, if it goes, if it starts extending beyond which school were you at, what degrees have you done, what teams have you done, mm. and you start talking about your nana and your auntie and your uncle, you're doing really well. Yeah. That's what I believe because they're wanting to know and they're engaging. And that for me, like I said right at the start, is the thing that um, will for me dis uh, discriminate between who is someone that I want and someone who, okay, he's just someone else who's in it for himself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when we spoke to you previously, you mentioned to us that one problem that you see a lot of people coming through is that they feel intimidated because there's a lot more highly credentialed people working in that space. Uh, what would you say to people who are desperate to break into the sports medicine industry but do feel that pressure? Yeah, so I think <laughs> there's always going to be someone that's at the top of the tree. There's mm. always going to be someone that knows more than what you otherwise do or knows the most essentially and it can be incredibly intimidating. I get intimidated to this day by the people that I'm surrounded by and, and other doctors that I otherwise speak to um, all the time. But no one ever asks me at the end of the day what my credentials are anymore. Um, it's what I do um, that otherwise says volumes about, about what they think of me. And so for someone who's coming into the industry, have, I suppose, be comfortable with what you know. If you truly believe that you know enough and to get to a particular point, then have belief in that, essentially. Don't double-guess yourself. Um, and you will have done that by, by speaking to some people. Like, you're not going to go in virginal, effectively. You're going to speak to a couple of people and say, listen, what, what do I basically need to do? And you'll get, you know, 70% of things will be common amongst everyone you speak to. Okay, do that, do that, and you start off great. Have belief and comfort in the fact that I, what I do, I know well. Beyond that, it's then a matter of saying, well, okay, what other skill sets do I need to otherwise get to somewhere Right, I need to I need to look after my own team. Okay, you can you can be a lackey for so long, yeah. So 
I've got to look after my own team. Okay, I've got to show the fact that I'm I'm willing to persist. Not only just being a winning team, I'm willing to persist and I'm willing to do those hard work yards. Um, and the background of that, you're going to learn along the way. But I reckon, since I graduated, I reckon 95% of what I've learned has been in life and in osmosis, and only 5% on any course I've ever otherwise ever done. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so uh, take yourself in that situation and just give yourself. Be good to yourself and believe in yourself because if you can't believe in yourself, I certainly am not mm. under any circumstance. So so believe in yourself, believe in your abilities um, and just put your best foot forward and don't take a knockback as anything negative apart from the fact that, you know what, there was someone who's probably better credentialed and you know what, I'm just going to show them that they chose the wrong person mm. and that's okay. And follow up, don't be afraid mm. because – so many times, that, you know, people we see people who have, you know, we might get thirty people applying for a position in some way, um, and only one or two candidates might otherwise get through to that situation, and the other twenty eight will just forget us. You know, occasionally we do get one who sort of says, "Listen, thank you for going with the interview process. I just wanted to follow up, and if you do get anything, and they'll just follow up again every three months or so, or come and go to a training session and say, "Listen, hi." Geez, it shows persistence, if nothing more, essentially, and a, and a desire, and that's a it's a great trait to otherwise sort of have, because that's what we're all trying to do. Yeah, we had uh, Morgan Mitchell on the podcast about a year ago, yeah. eight hundred meter Australian Olympian, and she said to us, self belief is a hell of a drug. So, if it's good enough for an Olympian, it's probably good enough for anyone. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think uh, you need to have that self belief, and and I think for. In in sports, you'll know that, and especially in combative sport, you know, if you are, if you you can see doubt in people's eyes, um, and once you see that fear or that doubt in their eyes, then they're they're trained to otherwise go at their prey in many respects. Mm. And in our industry, it's the same thing. You know, if any coaches sort of see any weakness in some of the decisions we make, they'll question it again and again. And once you start being questioned, then you've lost them. And once mm. you start to lose them, then you're no longer part of the team. You become part of the problem. Mm. And so it's really important the fact that you have self-belief and you actually just commit in that sense. Yeah. Awesome. Um, this last question we, we do love to ask our guests <laughs> coming in. Uh, it's a Ruben special that he loves to pull out. Uh, so I thought, why not bring it out for you? Uh, <laughs> but it, it is, if you could leave a note to your younger self who's at uni, uh, you're probably studying out there, uh, whatever you're doing down at uni, uh, what would that note say to yourself? Be kind to your parents. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different angle to what <laughs> Listen, I, if, I, if I could leave that, it, I think it'd probably be, to be brutally honest, it'd be to, to believe, just to believe in myself. Um, I came probably from a, a slightly different background, you know, at a time when Australia was a little bit different, you know, being from a... A, a, uh, my father being Chinese and the like and the white Australia policy around. So it was a difficult sort of period of time and, and racism was quite rampant through that sort of period. Um, and you were forever, the idea was to never put yourself up there because it was only going to be beaten down from you. Um, so certainly that's not something that has to happen now, thankfully. Um, but for me it was, if I could say to my younger self and, and truly have that feeling was to say, just believe in yourself. Um, I probably would have gone further quicker, maybe. Um, I may have done things differently. I'm not. A, I'm happy with who I am right now, but it would just be to, to believe in yourself. Um, because if, again, uh, I've said it before, if you don't believe in yourself, then no one else will or can. Um, so that's the note I would leave to myself. 
And maybe not have oh. children so early. Hence, <laughs> <laughs> be kind to the parents. <laughs> Five at 30, that's, uh, that is early. It's a full plate. <laughs> nah. Awesome. Well, um, cool. Jason, uh, thank you for coming in. That's all right. Uh, I know it's not, not too far a ride for you down here to the studio in Cremorne, mm. but uh, it's just been awesome touching on your journey in sport, uh, where it all came from, what, what you've been up to, and just all those little tangible skills that people can grab from this episode, um, not just if they want to get into sports medicine, but just in life in general. Um, yeah. it's been awesome just getting those from you. So good luck uh, for the rest of the right. season. Go the storm mm. uh, and hopefully hopefully you don't miss out on that prelim or grand final. You don't, you don't need to book <laughs> any holidays so in September. I'm that I've said that now. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's going to bite me in the bum. We, we actually have a good history of guests on the podcast who have won premierships. Mm. Oh, and uh, we, we have the luxury of being quite selective of who we get on. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You knew this already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it might be an omen for you. No, so let's hope so. Let's good luck so. with it. Terrific. Thanks so much. Thanks, Paul. Alrighty, Rubes, that was a mammoth episode. Great to have Dr. Jason Chan in the studio. Um, there is just so much to take away mm. from that episode. Absolutely. I think one of the things that I've that's really become aware to me is just how important cultural fit is to these clubs. You've got to be able to fit into their system. Mm. And not only that, you've got to be able to stay there for a while to have a long, sustained period of success. So for me, I'm thinking about how, you know, if for people listening, they should be thinking about taking cultural fit extremely seriously, taking loyalty extremely seriously. Um, because the value of these individuals compounds every single year that they remain at the organisation. Mm. If you understand the place, if you know who to talk to, if you know the way things work and you can make decisions quickly, that all takes an organisation forward quicker than someone who's fresh on the job. Yeah. So that value just is worth so much if you can keep a group of people for a long, long time. Hence the eight straight preliminary yeah. finals, hence the four grand finals and hence the two uh, premierships in that time too. So take cultural fit seriously, take loyalty loyalty seriously. The uh, success of the Melbourne Storms, Melbourne Storm speaks volumes to that. Yeah, unbelievable success. And how's that run? Mm. Still, Eight straight prelims. That's going to be hard to beat. Yeah, and probably going to keep going too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I loved the emphasis he put on communication. Like I think, you know, for everybody out there but – you know, specifically for those in the sports med space, you can know all the info in the world, you can have all the knowledge in the world, um, but if you can't communicate it, it'll all be worthless. And he had a few examples there around, you know, the need for him as a as a team doctor to be able to communicate with his players. He he can tell them whatever they want, but if they can't, he can't connect with them and communicate with them and understand them. They're not going to respond. So it's it's going to be worthless in the end so i think those out there just try and master those communication skills get really comfortable mm. um and learn how to connect with people because that's that's what's going to get you further mm. yeah absolutely and finally he hammered this point home on a number of different occasions ryan uh but he's lived it so jason has had a number of different things you know not just studying for 10 years straight but also um, all different parts of his life that he's had to work extremely hard at, but he's made it to this incredible job where he's now working with an incredible organisation, achieving mm. incredible success. 
And the main message out of that is just believe in yourself. Continue to believe that you can reach these heights, particularly if you are pursuing the career that Jason has had. If you want to be a doctor in an NRL team or an Mm. AFL team, keep going because whilst there's not many of these jobs around, they're not that competitive because there's not as many people going for them. If you think about how many people last the journey of a medicine degree and beyond that or want to volunteer at a club to get sports-specific experience, the field becomes incredibly narrow by the end of it. Mm. So keep believing in yourself if you want the same career path that Jason has because it is quite possible if you're willing to put the work in. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. It was a great episode. Mm. He's a great talker. Like yeah. he, can, he can talk. And as <laughs> I, I said this to you off air, um, every question he answered for us, I feel like we had about five questions we could ask back. Yeah. Um, which is a sign of a great podcast. So mm. great job. Um, speaking of great podcasts, uh, any other episodes in this realm of sport that you'd recommend for some people out there listening? Yeah, well, I tried to get a book recommendation off Jason so yeah. that people who want to develop their communication skills had a resource to go to. Yeah. We couldn't get a book recommendation, so I'm going to give you a podcast recommendation, and that is episode 124 with Hamish McLaughlin, Ooh. who is the face of Channel 7. He is the uh, one of the greatest presenters in media in Australia at the moment. And uh, he is the perfect person to teach you about how to connect with an audience, how to connect with a uh, hiring manager in a job interview, how to connect with someone in the street. He's just an excellent guest. So episode 124 with Hamish McLaughlin is another brilliant one. But if you want more sports medicine, 112 with Peter Bruckner, which we uh, also touched on at the start of the episode. Nice one. I just checked that and that's bang on. Mm. 112. You're on a roll with the... uh episode numbers thank you (laughs) two great episodes uh those two so check them out if you haven't already great well connect with us on linkedin if you haven't already plus be sure to jump into the sports road community we would love to chat with you on there head to our website at sportsgrad.com.au slash community to join or head to the link in our show notes as well also if you love the show we would love for you to rate the show five stars wherever you listen to your podcasts Subscribe on Apple or follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.